Um, today we are starting a brand new series on relationships. I've been talking about it for a couple of months. Really excited to start this with you guys today and the coming weeks. And I want to bring your attention to the screen up here because we have a way that you're going to be able to interact with this series. The end of the series, we're going to do like a panel discussion where I have leaders up here on the stage. They're going to um, take your questions throughout the series, and they're going to be answering some of those questions throughout the series. So, um, at the end of the series. So, um, pull out your phones right now, and we'll get this first part out of the way. This will get you guys logged in into this little account that you can then ask questions throughout the series. So, pull out your phones and pull up your, your iMessage deal, and you can type in the number 37607 in the recipients, and then you just type in one word, lowercase, TBC overflow, all the word together, and then that will log you into the account, and then um, you can then text your questions to that number uh, throughout the series. And at the end of the series, we're going to take these questions and try to answer as many as we can. So make sure they're good. These could be personal questions. These could be questions that are more big picture. Um, I will assure you we're doing it this way because um, we want this to be anonymous. The question part, I want to be anonymous. So there is, I've already checked it. There's no way for me to know who's asking what questions, all right? I've already tested it out with my own phone, and it, my number's not on there, so I can't tell who's asking what. Uh, so I want that to be um, helpful to you. So if you have some real personal things you're struggling with and you don't want to say who you are, that's okay, right? At least right now, just ask the questions, and we'll, we'll uh, deal with those at the end of the series. So um, I want to put the next picture up there. This is an overview of the whole series we're going to get to in the coming weeks. So um, we have today, then uh, we're going to talk next Sunday um, about the problem with marriage, and then um, we're going to get into two parts on why did God even create this thing called marriage, and then a week on marriage and friendship, which I'm really excited for, and then one on men in marriage, women in marriage, do two parts on sexuality, and then we're going to do one final message called Dating Towards Marriage, and then we'll have a Q&A panel discussion at the very end, um, in and around spring break, I think. So um, if, you, if you miss one of these weeks or a few weeks, these will all be posted online. You can listen to them later on if you'd like to um, in the coming weeks as well. So as I began to sit and think about this whole series, I have never seen my job as your youth pastor to just prepare you for the here and now, you know, next week, next year. That's part of it. But I've always seen my job as not preparing you for just right now or even the next 48 years. I've seen my job as preparing you for the next 50 or 60 years. So I've always kind of set my sight on that's what I'm preparing you for, not just college, not just single young adulthood, but I've prepared, I'm preparing you for even beyond that, for the, really for the rest of your life. What I hope you get in this ministry for four years, and junior high for four years, is a foundation that you can build your life on. And this has always been my goal as your youth pastor. And so my goal in this series is to give you a vision of what the future should look like for you. Then we're going to work backwards and talk about how this affects your dating life. In fact, in this series, you'll notice a lot on that screen, you'll notice a lot of words like marriage. You'll see marriage in almost every talk. And we're going to talk a lot more about marriage in this series than just dating. We'll discuss dating, but we're going to focus a lot more on marriage than we actually talk about dating. 
Um, and so, in speaking of dating, I've got to lay my cards on the table when it comes to dating, especially dating uh, for people in junior high and dating for high schoolers. Um, if people ask me the question, should people categorically date in junior high or high school, I would say, the answer to that question, I would say no most of the time, right? Now, I've seen some, I've seen some exceptions, but the reason why, there's a reason why they're called exceptions. And there is a right way and a wrong way to go about this whole dating relationship thing. But the problem is most high schoolers and junior high kids that I've seen don't do it the right way. So that's why I say no most of the time. And um, I know this. I know most of us don't do it the right way because um, I didn't do it the right way. And I've seen for 20 years how most high schoolers don't do it the right way. I was the kid who, in eighth grade, I had this girlfriend. Tenth grade, I had this girlfriend, and it was not healthy. These were not healthy situations. These were situations where uh, the girl might say to me, I think we should go farther physically, or I might put pressure on her to go. Yes, these things happened. And so I saw myself, like what happened to me in those situations, and I've seen what happens the last 20 years with many students I've worked with. And so I'm not this morning trying just to create a bunch of like new legalistic rules for you. So me standing up here and saying, yeah, it's probably not a good idea most of the time, um, is not my attempt at just creating more rules and regulations for you. Um, but I have, seen I have seen exceptions to this rule, and I'll discuss one right now. So many of you guys... May I remember uh, Jesse Hagen. She graduated a couple years ago, now a senior, I think, at Baylor. And I'll tell you what, um, what she did about five years ago. We were at Impact Camp, and it was after one of our sessions one night, and she said, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, sure. So we went out to the tables outside and just sat and talked. I said, what's going on? She goes, well, um, I want to let you know. And she, I think she was, like, in between her junior and senior year at that point. And she said, so um, I had this boyfriend now. And I said, oh, really? Cool. What's his name? His name's Zach. And, uh, and I said, well, that, that's cool. So what's your question? She says, well, um, she explained the situation and she said, I just want to know what you think about the fact that I have a boyfriend. And like, what do you think about all that? And I was like, wait, what? Like, you're asking me what I think about the fact that you have a boyfriend. That's, that's your question. And I was like, how much time do you have? Like, let's sit down and talk about this. So we sat and talked for probably a good hour, and she's asking questions. I'm just giving as much input as I can, and so I gave her this long, probably, speech that she got sick of listening to, but, um, but you know what? what I saw in there as a couple was this willingness to be taught, willingness to be led by their parents, by their pastors, and they're actually getting married next year, all right? So it can happen, but it has to be done the right way. I also have a picture up here on the screen of my nephew, Blake, and his wife, Addie. I did their wedding last May. And it was a really cool thing to do your, your nephew's wedding. And, uh, but they met when I think she was 15, he was 17. And the story goes that when she was 15, she said, I am going to marry Blake Tate. She told her friends that. And her friends kind of laughed, like, oh, sure, sure, sure you will. And then they started dating, they started a serious relationship, but it was 
guided by parents, and they were listening to wisdom from other people. And sure enough, when he was 20 and she was 18, she was 18 when I did this wedding. All right? And so I've seen it. I've seen where, where they're the exception, where I go, yeah, this, I can see this couple. This couple's mature enough at their young age to be making this kind of a decision. But there's a reason why they're called exceptions, because most of the time, that's not the case, right? And don't even get me started on junior high, like if people should date in junior That's just a, a non-starter, in my opinion, as far as the conversation goes. But I know one couple in my entire life that started dating, put quotation marks around that, in junior high, and today they're unhappily married. There's a couple that I was in school with, and uh, it was Ken, Kenneth, and Tiffany. Ooh, Ken, where's Kenneth? Kenneth's like, no. I'm dusted. <laughs> no, they're all senior, man. You're good to go. Um, but they were in eighth grade. They started dating. And I remember, this was not like the way I think of dating. This was like, we like each other. We're just going to kind of see what God does. We're friends. We're going to build the friendship up. But you know what? Ken is a guy who had integrity. He had principles. And people were asking him in eighth and ninth grade, so hey, are you going to kiss her? Are you going to kiss her? And he's like, no. He goes, not till I'm married. And we're like, what? Are you crazy? Right? We're asking this question. And he's a guy who, for four years in high school, didn't kiss her one time. They went to college. So he went to college at Penn State. She came to college in Texas. For five years, she was in Texas. They stayed together, long distance. She moved back when she graduated, and they got married, and they have several kids. They've adopted several kids since then. Just a beautiful family, right? So, but they're the exception. They're the exception. And if you don't think I'm being honest when I say it's not wise to get involved in this dating thing when you're, when you're fairly young, um, even secular publications agree with me that dating for younger people is really just a bad idea. So there's this article that was in Cosmopolitan. How many of you guys read that? Our dudes. I know you're in Cosmo, don't lie. I know you're off the shelf. I want to see what this article says, you know. Um, so article in Cosmopolitan said, they're citing a study in the Journal of Adolescence. It says, a new study published in the Journal of Adolescence found that children who had romantic relationships earlier in life are more likely to have issues as they grew older. Those who start dating young are more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, among other social problems. All right? Now, I could really scare your parents with this article, couldn't I? Parents, whenever our kids date, yeah, sure, if we're doing heroin, go on. Go on. Have at it. Right? So that might sound extreme to you, so I'm not trying to argue here, but listen, listen. So why is this? What's the connection? What's the connection with, like, it seems extreme, like, okay, mom and dad, seriously, really, okay, whatever. So here's the second part of the quote. That's because young kids are more likely to form unhealthy attachments to their partners, make poor decisions because of their partner, like trying drugs, if he or she does, and take breakups a lot harder than the rest of us due to a lack of cognitive development. A rough breakup could cause deeper and more long-term emotional problems in children 
compared with adults. So again, this might seem extreme, but I have seen this firsthand. Does this mean I've seen, you know, kids doing drugs because they started dating early? Not necessarily, but I've seen many kids use love as a drug. And I think what they're trying to point out is that when you start this pattern in your, in your life early on, you start this pattern of, like, needing a fix. And so some people, we call them drug junkies. Some people are love junkies. Some people are what I call serial daters, right? They just always need to have somebody around. Always going to have somebody they're kind of flirting with, texting, talking to. Maybe they're in a relationship, maybe they're not. No one knows. But this kind of thing leads to addictive behaviors in other areas as well. And so even if, if love is the only drug you ever use, it's still an addictive pattern. It's still an addictive behavior. And so I think, and these are unbelievers writing this. This is not me. This is an unbeliever saying this. And uh, so I think here's the issue is that some people, I think, at your age, especially in high school, they see dating as like a practice run. They see it as a, well, you know, dating is kind of like, like practicing for marriage eventually. You know, I need to, I need to date to kind of figure out, you know, what kind of person I like, you know, who I don't like, uh, how to relate to the opposite gender. And I would just tell you today that you can learn a lot about the opposite gender by just being friends with them. And it doesn't create the baggage that something more than friendship would create. So keep this in mind. Like you, you can learn a lot about someone. In fact, I would say you would learn a lot about a person if there's not the manipulation and all the baggage that a relationship might create if you're just friends. Just work on a healthy friendship with someone, Right? And so you should, you should never see dating as practice. That is a bad way to view. Like, that, that's your sister in Christ. This is your brother in Christ. There's not, there's no guinea pig written on them. Okay? There's no shirt that says, hey, can you experiment on me, please? Like, this should not be a practice run. It shouldn't be a practice run. As Gary referred to this morning, this is the image of God you're dealing with. And so you treat them as a brother and sister in Christ. J.D. Greer says, dating is a road that leads to marriage, and if you aren't ready for the destination, get off the road. Get off the road. So we don't see it as practice. We see it as there's a destination that this thing's heading towards. Or it should, you should be on that road only when you're ready for that destination and not before. And so we never date for practice. So in this series, we're going to introduce you to this idea called reverse engineering. This is what I got. I got this from a guy named Mark Driscoll. Here's how he defines this. Reverse engineering is anticipating life forward and then living it backward. So in other words, instead of starting with the question, when or how should I date, you start with the question, what kind of marriage do I want? So you start there. What kind of marriage do I want eventually? And you ask that question first, and then you work backwards from there. Then we talk about dating in the here and now. You start with the end in mind. 
So one picture might be, when we construct a building, who do we hire first? The builder or the architect? Who do we hire first? The architect. When we built this building across the parking lot, which is very nice, we hired someone that laid out the plans, drew the pictures, made the measurements, made the images, three-dimensional, then we hire the builder and say, okay, who can build us this? We have to hire a builder, and the builder starts saying, like, all right, what do you guys think you want? And we're like, yeah, just, just start pouring some concrete. We'll figure it out. Just start putting some walls down, some, some pipe and some, some concrete, and start putting up some wall studs, and then we'll kind of figure out as we go along. We'll just kind of figure this thing out. That would be foolish for a construction pro- project. You start with the end in mind. You get a picture of what you want, and then you build that picture. And so if we didn't do it that way, we'd have a huge mess on our hands. The problem is that many of us approach relationships that way. ends up being a huge mess. You have no plan, no thought about the future. You just react. You just, well, I like him. I like her. I find them attractive. I find them funny. I find them engaging. And you just start texting, talking, spending time together. Maybe you start getting physical. And there's no plan. There's no vision for the future of your life, vision for this future thing called marriage. You're just letting your emotions and desires just guide you. And so it leads to just one huge mess. And I think there's really four ways that we can live out relationships. The first one is reaction. This is being guided by your feelings, your fears, and your fleshly desires. Fears being, I'm afraid of being single. Now, in college, after college, whenever, I'm, I'm, I'm fearful of that. So I need to find someone right now because I'm fearful of being single. Fe- feelings, fears, fleshly desires. Conformity. Being guided by those around you, simply doing what everyone else is doing. This is a big pressure for me when I was a sophomore in high school because all my friends had girlfriends. And so I felt like, well, this girl next to me, who's like, when our lockers are next to each other, she's kind of cute. So maybe I'll ask her out. And so, what ha- you know, it's this peer pressure of like, everyone else is with someone, so I got to be with someone. Conformity. Independence. Being guided by a false view of freedom, doing only what you want, and ignoring godly authority over you. This is what impressed me so much with what Jesse Hagen said to me. The fact that she's willing to bring in someone, like her parents, like her pastor, and say, hey, what, here's what I'm doing. Like, what do you think about this? Like, what, do you, what are your thoughts on this? That, that spoke volumes to me about, about someone's maturity and readiness for a relationship. So the last way in which... Someone can live out relationship as intentionality. This is reverse engineering your life and living it purposefully and prayerfully. Now, I know the word reverse engineering is not a very romantic-sounding word, right? If, 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 someone, if someone, like, asks you out and you're like, no, no, I can't, I can't date you, why not? Because I'm reverse engineering my life. They're like, what? You're... That's, that's freaking me out, right? 
So I know it's not a romantic sounding word, but here's the idea. That you start with the end in mind, and you work backwards from there. So there's these principles I want to give you in relation to this. Number one, based on Proverbs 21, verse 5, you need a wise plan to do your work. You need a wise plan to do your work. Number two, your plan needs to include outside counsel, based on Proverbs 15, 22. Other people should be involved in helping you make decisions, especially big decisions like relationships and marriage. I'm just blown away being a pastor at a church for a long time. How many people come into the church and just say, like, yeah, we're going to get married. I'm like, well, how long have you known this person? Oh, six months. What? And, and you're, you're, you know, like, you know that you know this person's character that well, and they know your, your character that much, that well, that you just know this is the right decision. And, of course, as a pastor, if you're just there to do the wedding. That's your job. Your job is to shut up and do the wedding. Right? So it's tough when I hear those things from people that are in their mid-20s and 30s, and I, and I just want to say, you know, I'm not sure y'all have thought this all through real well. I know you got the ring on your finger. I know you've got a cake. You've got a place. But we need to have a little conversation. This is not... I don't know if this should really be happening right now, right? So your plan must include outside counsel. And then thirdly, your plan must be biblical and prayerful, based on Proverbs 16, verse 3. And then lastly, your plan will change as God leads you, Proverbs 16, verse 9. So there are times when, even when I was doing it the right way in college later on, that I thought, I mean, it was a godly relationship. I thought this could be the man, maybe. And then God just guided us elsewhere. And that was okay. But God led us and he guided us as he walked through this whole process. So I'll remind you about something. These passages and problems aren't even about marriage. They're not about marriage. They're just about plans in general. So if these verses apply to plans in general, how much more do they apply to marriage? Like one of the biggest things you'll ever decide in your entire life, they apply that much and more to the concept of marriage. Now, before we get into the real meat of this series, I want to uh, have you see a few things about marriage and singleness. And I'm pulling some of these points from a talk that I heard J.D. Greer give a while back. And before we get going on some of these things in 1 Corinthians, um, I want you to see this morning how you and I cannot idolize marriage. You and I cannot idolize relationships and marriage. I want to just caution you today that in your mind, you probably have it laid out. It's graduated high school. It's going for your college. I'm going to meet her about junior year. And we're best friends, and she'll be attractive, and I'll be, you know, hopefully a godly guy by then. And, uh, and we'll get married after our senior year of college. And, uh, and that'll be how it goes. That's what most of you are thinking right now. And I want to caution you today that if, if that's not what happens for you, and you start shaking your fist at God over it, then that shows there's some idolatry going on. Because it may not work out that way. Some of you might meet the person, you know, I don't know, several years after college. It might be a while. Do you know that Isaac... Abraham's son, 
Do you know how old he was when he got married? He was 40 when he got married. And this is a time of, in culture, when, when things happened a lot quicker than that usually. And so Isaac was 40 years old when he got married. None of us are guaranteed marriage or guaranteed a timeline. And I know you're going to sit there and look at me and go, like, well, dude, that's easy for you to say. Like, you're married, you've got a couple of kids. Of course you're going to tell us that because you, you don't speak from experience. You know, you're already married. So that's true. You've got a point there. That's why I want you to look at the words of Paul because Paul was a single man. And Paul says this to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. Paul says, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Paul's talking about marriage and singleness here. So Paul was single. He was single. He is not anti-marriage. People think sometimes that when they read Paul, that Paul's like anti-marriage. Paul's not anti-marriage, as you'll see throughout the series. But he's saying, I wish all could be content in their singleness as I am. And the reason for that is so they could focus more on the work of God. This was Paul's focus. So when Paul says gift, he is meaning both singleness and marriage. When he says some have one gift, some have another, He's referring to singleness being a gift and marriage being a gift. Both are gifts in Paul's view. To summarize what he's saying, both marriage and singleness are temporary gifts God uses for the fulfillment of his purposes. So whether you are single or whether you are married, you've got to see both as a gift from God to you. And the problem in our culture is that people view singleness as a curse, not as a gift. We see this, I think, even in the church. We view singleness as a curse, and we view marriage as a gift and a blessing. That's how we view it. This is not the view of the early church or the view of Paul. He sees both as a gift. I think God sees both as a gift. And I'll tell you, I love love being married. I love my family. I love my wife. I love my kids. And I'm glad God's given marriage to us but it should not be what I live for ultimately. It should not be what you live for ultimately. And so if your picture of the future has marriage, that's great. God designed it. God invented it. It is glorious. It is a blessing. But you and I cannot take a good thing like marriage and turn it into a God thing and make it into an idol. We cannot do it. So we'll talk a lot about these ideas over the coming weeks. But I don't want you to, for, for a minute to think that we're rolling out the idea that some of you, God may call you to a, a, a good portion of singleness throughout your life, and you go and do some amazing things for his kingdom and do some things that might not be possible if you had a husband or a wife and some kids. And I see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Look down in the next part of the chapter, uh, verses 32-34, where Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious 
about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. His interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. When he says worldly, he's not talking about like evil. He's just saying it's just the things of, of this life. It's not bad. It's not bad that a married man is concerned about his family, but it does, like, it can hinder him in some ways. So here's the point he's making. Both marriage and singleness have their advantages and their drawbacks. So Paul's not bashing marriage. He's just pointing out the obvious. He's just pointing out that when you're married and you got a family, things change. I mean, I can speak from personal experience in this, in this area. Um, so, for example, before I had kids, before I got a, had a wife and kids, the idea of going overseas on a mission trip was like my favorite idea in the world. I, I just thought, get me on a plane. I love overseas mission trips. I love the experience. I love meeting people in other cultures. I love the whole thing. And then I got married and I had kids. And there's just something in me. I still love doing those things. But there's just something in me that's kind of shifted for right now. If my family can come with me, then I'm like, yeah, let's, let's, let's go. Let's do it. But getting on a plane and flying that far away from three people that I love dearly is very difficult for me. So last year, I went to the UAE, which is around halfway around the world. And I would often like pull up my phone like, on Google Maps, and I would zoom out and zoom out and zoom out and zoom out. And it was so hard to look at the map and go, man, I'm over here in the UAE. Like, I'm really here. I'm in the UAE. And I could see on the, you know, find my iPhone app. I could see my wife's phone on the other side of the world. Did someone say creeper? Yeah, yeah. She laughs at this. So, like, whenever I can't, I try to call her, I can't get a hold of her, I'll go find my iPhone, like, oh, she's at H-E-B. And I'll go to H-E-B and be, like, standing behind the, the milk, like, just, hey, what's up? And she's like, how'd you get here? I'm like, I just found you on an iPhone app. She's like, you're creeping me out. I'm like, as long as I'm telling you I'm doing this, it's not stalking, right? Right? <laughs> it's not done in the secret. So, um, but when I'm that far away, it, it just, it's something in me that wants to be with them. And with my kids, it's really hard to love my kids. And so what Paul's point is, it's not evil. It's just life's different once you've entered into that realm of life. And so um, Paul was not married, so Paul was able to travel as a missionary. Paul was a single guy. He was able to travel all over the place and not have the cares of a wife and some kids, right? If he'd been married, he might have gone to as many places as he did. And so my life looks different. Our life looks different once you have a wife and some kids or a husband and some kids, um, as opposed to when I was single. Um, when you're married and you have kids, you have other people to consider. Life just changes. So a few months ago, um, we put the kids to bed, and my wife and I sat down on the couch. We're like, we're going to watch something. We're going to watch a movie, I think. We're going to watch a movie. And we got the movie started, and then next thing I know, I see my daughter in the corner of my eye, walking through the kitchen and dining room, and she kind of has this weird look to her walk. I would say it resembled um, like a zombie walk out of The Walking Dead. 
And she kind of has like, like this weird, like kind of this this look, you know. And I'm looking at her, and I'm like, she's getting closer. And I'm like, oh my gosh, she just threw up all in front of her pajamas, and she has puke just all down the front of her pajamas. And she's looking at me like a zombie. She's like, coming at me like this, and I'm going, what in the world is this? And so I prevent her from walking on the carpet in the living room, the brand new carpet. And uh, I'm like, hey, let's get you bathed and. I go and I walk down the hallway towards her room. Oh my gosh. The smell. Like it was awful. Like, and I have a very quick gag reflex. So I say things like, hey, Courtney, hey, you need to clean this up because if I do, I'm going to up too, you know? So um, <laughs> I delegate, right? And, uh, and, and so I walk into my room, and it's like, it just, it's like you walk into a wall. The smell is like a wall that I'm now, like, penetrating, okay? And it's in her bed. It's on the floor. It's just disgusting. And so we got to get the sheets off the bed. we got to put her in the bath. we got to put the pajamas. I am out on the front um, driveway at midnight hosing off her sheets and her comforter because it has chunks. All right? Hey, I'm trying to repair you guys, okay? Here we go. So it's, I'm spraying the thing down, and I'm like thinking if a neighbor sees this, they're going to think I killed somebody. Okay? Just, just wiping off the blood. Don't worry. Just everyone wiping off the blood. Um, so here we are, and this must have taken like probably a good two hours. And then I'm thinking, man, like this carpet just stinks. I got to get, the, how are we going to get the carpet fixed? And so next day I go to house, I get one of those like steam cleaners, right? And um, here's the thing. I think this is, this is on a Thursday, I think. And Thursday is my main sermon prep day for Sunday morning. So I spent most of Thursday. I must have cleaned that carpet like 20 times in one day. And it still smelled. I, I put my nose on the carpet. I can still smell it. I'm doing it again, right? And I would just go over and over and over. I did the same thing to her, her bed. I did the same thing. And then two days later, Landon did the exact same thing. All right? So let me just give you a picture here that parenthood and marriage, it changes things. Like I planned on spending Thursday a good four or five hours just preparing for, you know, godly tidbits of wisdom that I was going to, you know, fall for this stage. And then that happened, right? And I spent most of that day just trying to clean my house and make the house not stink like, you know what? So parent, parenting, it changes things. It changes things in, in what you're able to do. On the other side, marriage also opens the door, though, for different kinds of ministry. So both have their advantages and disadvantages. That's all Paul's trying to communicate. But here's the really big idea I want you to get from this whole series, is that I want you to see the bigger picture, that God's ultimate desire is that you see both singleness and marriage as a gift from God. Both are an opportunity for God to work in you and to use you in special ways. And we'll be talking a lot about relationships throughout this, these coming weeks. But I want to remind you that even marriage is not permanent. Do you know that? Marriage is temporary. That means that that girl or that guy that you spend your entire life trying to get and you think you've arrived and you think your, your, your life goal has been met, that do you know that once 
you enter into eternity with Jesus, that you will no longer be married to that person? Do you guys know this? Do you know that one day I will not be married to Courtney? That's kind of a depressing thought to me, at least right now, my limited view. I'm not sure how it's going to work if we're in heaven and I can, I'll like know that's her and be like, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, remember, remember her, you know? I'm not sure how that's going to look, but marriage is temporary. It's not a permanent fixture because marriage is meant to point to something much greater than itself. And the problem is, at your age especially, you get so caught up in the here and now that you miss out on what it's pointing towards. So you see verses like Matthew 6, 33, where it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So your goal is not to seek a spouse. Your goal is to seek first his kingdom, and then God will add to your life the things that he wants to add to your life. A preacher named Tommy Nelson once said that you set your sight on the love of God and you run as fast as you can towards his will for your life. And after a while, you're going to see someone running along right next to you. And they're cute, right? And you're like, hey, we're all all together. Like, I'm going towards this, and so are you. Let's go in the same direction together, and let's go out and get married. This is how it works. And so you set, you seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and then you might add marriage as a blessing. He just might do it. And so as we talk about this idea of vision for the future, as it relates to your marriage and, or singleness, I also want you to think about a different kind of, um, of future, and that's, we refer to it in the passage of the kingdom of God. There's a quote by John Piper. He says, this is a pretty long quote, so bear with me on this. It's too long to write down. But John Piper says, God's, God promises you blessings in the age to come that are better than the blessings of marriage and children. Let that first thought just think in for a minute. The blessings that God has for you as a Christian are better than the blessings of marriage and children. I am not sentimentalizing singleness to make the married people feel good. I am declaring the temporary and secondary nature of marriage. Marriage and family are temporary for this age. The church is forever. I am declaring the radical biblical truth that being in a human family is no sign of eternal blessing, but being in God's family means being eternally blessed. Relationships based on family are temporary. Next slide. Relationships based on union with Christ are eternal. Marriage is a temporal institution, but what it stands for lasts forever. So renounce the primacy of your natural relationships and follow Jesus into the fellowship of the people of God. Marriage is temporary, and it will finally give way to the relationship to which it was pointing all along, Christ and his church. Marriage is light and momentary. Jesus and the church are eternal. In this series, we're going to talk a lot about dating and sexuality and marriage, but we'll also talk a lot about what it's meant to, port, to point towards. And we'll cover a lot of that in 
our next three sessions, The Problem of Marriage and then Why Marriage, Part 1 and Part 2. Go and do your questions at your tables for a few minutes.